Hey Jane, welcome to the show, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me Danny, I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to be here because just before I press record we were talking about Disneyland <laughs> and I was questioning yeah. you on your back wall and all these kind of achievements and stuff that you have and memories and references and one of them is a little sketch of Pluto behind. Uh, that you, one there. <laughs> and you shared with me that you worked at Disneyland and I was really interested into what you did so um, I'll tell you what let's let's kick off and um, introduce yourself what you do you've got a really interesting quite wide-ranging background that feeds into what you do now I think that's interesting sure. and let's get yes Pluto <laughs> so so what I do now is I help frustrated professionals to step out of the job that they hate and into one that they love and that's you know through a series of one-on-one coaching downloadable ebooks and you know you know online courses as well so yeah and I I came to this through uh you know a, a long history um with my first proper job although some people wouldn't say it was a proper job <laughs> being at Disneyland and for all the Disney aficionados we have to be specific because Disneyland is in California I was at Disneyland Paris which at the time was Euro Disney and then went to Euro Disneyland and it has been through a number of rebranding um exercises itself actually yeah, didn't they, didn't they try and dif- differentiate the two by calling one Disney World and Disneyland and they, they're supposed to kind of fit together somewhere? Yeah, so uh, Disneyland was the first, so I've got like, let's, let's Disney geek out here. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Disneyland is the original uh, park, which is in California. Uh, Walt Disney World is in Orlando, which is made oh, yeah. up of Magic Kingdom, which is like, the bit that they've kind of took and put in Paris, uh, the MGM Studios, uh, you've got all the water parks there and there is, oh my God, there's like Animal Kingdom. There's, they've got like a number of parks and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So they've they become now, haven't they? Because of like the whole Star Wars, Marvel, National Geographic, <laughs> they've just become monstrous. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want a lesson in leadership, go and read um, Bob Iger's um, biography. He's done a, he's done a like interviews with Oprah as well. There's a, there's something on YouTube, Oprah interviewing him. He is, I've actually, I've actually met him um, at a show called D23, which is like Comic Con for Disney yeah, fans. I've seen it advertised actually. Yeah. Oh my God. We, I, my friends and I used to call ourselves Disney fans. Then we realized fan is a derivative of fanatic. We were like, no, 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 we're not fans. We're enthusiasts. There's a big difference because here we are in a room full of 8,000 fanatics and that's not us. So no, I mean, they, I mean, you know, we, we, you know, they, they put on the show. I mean, we, we kind of got back to our hotel room one night and just reeled off who we'd met that day. We had green room passes and it was just like one of those pinch yourself moments. And it's just crazy. So here's a question. How on God's green earth do you get green room passes? So our friend um, became, so the highest honor that you can be given in Disney is to become a Disney legend. So our friend who's an animator uh, was awarded legend status. Um, so just to give you an idea who, who else was awarded legend status at that time, there was the lady who was the first Disney ambassador, uh, Johnny Depp mm-hmm. and George Lucas wow. and my friend. So that was, yeah, so we got back room passes and I was just sitting on the sofa and Sir Ben Kingsley was there chatting. It was, they, were, they were launching Mowgli. So he was chatting and the, oh, wow. the, the, the boy that played Mowgli was there and oh, yeah. Captain America was there. My friend handed Captain America some sugar and he was hyperventilating. <laughs> I had no clue who this guy was because I'm not really a Marvel person. When my childhood like thing was the Jungle Book, and I, I rem- and throughout my childhood, into adulthood even, um, I've always had this, like there's been several films that I've thought, I would love for them to bring that to life, like real yeah. life. And Jungle Book was one of them. So when Mowgli came out, I was like, oh my God, this is yeah. like come true. The only yeah. other one that, um, the only other couple of films that I would love to see in real life, uh, like be brought to life are, um, I haven't yet seen the Beauty and the Beast actually that they did. Oh, it's amazing! Uh, it's insane. 
Um, but I, I know what you mean about the animators and the legend status. I, I remember on the rare occasion that I'm without wife or child, um, <laughs> I, I will, you know, put on the uh, the Pixar Disney stories documentaries. Yeah. How they formed and how they produced work and the the, the finance and the uh, not just the skill that's involved, but the finance and the business element of it's just unreal. Yeah. Just absolutely yeah. fascinating. You have all this talent and then all this business going on. And it's to try and balance those, I know, from running a creative business is really, yeah. really difficult. So, but what a story they have. Yeah. And I think that's where Bob Iger was brilliant because he got the zeitgeist of, of kind of what was what was kind of cool and what was going to come up. Because the weird thing about being at D23 is they announce all the films that are coming. So they actually announced, they had Ellen there, Ellen DeGeneres who's interesting talking about brand, um, they announced the sequel to Finding Nemo. Oh. And it's so weird. So they announce all these films that are going to come out or fil films that they've started. And then it's like two or three years later, you're like, oh my God, we, we were at D23 when they announced that yeah. they were going to start making that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just, yeah, it's like one year. It was like, oh my God, yeah, we've seen the trailers and the they, they show, you know, they've got security like roaming around this place because if you even touch your mobile phone, you are out of there. So yeah. I was made this really big deal of turning it off, putting it on the floor, don't choke me out. <laughs> That's yeah, it's so incredible. You were, you were a performer. Disney. Yeah, so I actually, I actually left uni. So I went to do, I went to uni and I did, um, catering management and retail management. So hospitality is my passion, it's my love. Um, and I, it was the year, I graduated in the year that Disneyland Paris opened. So they kind of did, I don't know if, you, I don't know if organizations still do this, like a milk round, you know, they come and they recruit a load of people. And I think it was a combination of, I hadn't got my shit together and neither had Disney. And it was really late in the day and they came and I was like, this sounds like fun. Um, I had an interview and I got offered this job. So it was, I was on the graduate program in the resorts. So I was started in the July and I was doing night shift in this hotel. And then, then it was, there was a whole lot of things happening because what Disney had done is they picked up Magic Kingdom and put it in France and it, culturally it just did not work. So they started doing all of this stuff to kind of just repair it. And one of the things for the first birthday was to do a, a huge parade. So they, put out a call for people to go and join the parade and I was by this point my graduate program was just like withering on the vine because everyone had got sacked or left or whatever so I thought well why don't I go and do this I'm quite a good dancer yeah yeah you know, I, I can I can put on a show you know I've always been a bit extrovert and I got the job and I was like this wow. I mean it was the best job ever so I was doing parades, I was doing shows, I was doing characters in the park, I was doing like special TV, Disney club recordings, off to special events and stuff like that. And because I spoke English, and not at the time, not a lot of people spoke English, we would be um, called to do kind of English TV and, um, and meet Michael Jackson as well. So like when Michael Jackson would come to the park, he would there would be characters on standby just in case Michael wanted to meet someone so of course they had to have English speaking characters wow so I was just sitting in a hotel room for days just in case Michael wanted to meet oh, just in yeah. case called cool yes, in case stars yeah 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 but it was yeah I mean it's just like it blows your mind kind of the, the stuff and the show element of, of Disney. Yeah. And it, it still blows my mind to this day. I was saying to you before that my lad's two and a half and he, he literally asks us to put parades of Disney World on TV just because- I'm probably in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Memories, Amazing. Amazing though, like the actual performance is going on 24 seven, like every 20 minutes, like there's something yeah. going on, it's amazing. Well, that's, yeah. um, I know that you've had a pretty interesting background, but it's not all <laughs> Disney. It's not all been games. It's all showbiz, kid. But, you know, the other stuff you've done is um, you've had quite, an, a, quite a wide range of experience. So hospitality, of course, is part of it. But um, you moved into aviation. How did that come about? So, yeah, so I was, um, 
I left Disney, I came back to the UK and was like, I need to get a proper job. So I actually got a job as a holiday rep overseas, <laughs> which, which I did for three seasons. And then I came home. And if you're, you know, holiday reps either last three seasons or a lifetime, I did three and I couldn't do any more. Um, I came home and I was like, right, I, now I really need to get a proper job. And I was living with someone on the Isle of Wight at the time. So I was kind of on the ferry quite a lot, back and forth to interviews. And I picked up the newspaper because that's how you got jobs in those days, in the late 90s. Um, you'd pick up a newspaper and respond to an advert. And there was a job in there and it wasn't anything um, kind of that I thought I could do, but it was in cargo, in British Airways cargo. And it sort of basically asked all these questions like, are you a problem solver? Can you make decisions? Can you do this? Can you work under pressure? And I was like, I can do all of that stuff. <laughs> You're like, I've done, I've through around <laughs> in Disneyland Paris. Like, I can do this. If, I tell you what, if, you could, if you've been a holiday rep, you can do anything because yeah. you, the, the amount of crap that gets thrown at you and the stress you have to deal with and British holiday makers abroad, if you can manage them, you can do anything. I would hire a holiday rep in a heartbeat, I tell you, as long as they got over their alcohol problem. <laughs> as long as they didn't quite drink as much, I would hire anyone that's done that as a job. Yeah, that's and actually I just... going to be a really important <laughs> question, actually. Yeah. Great experience. Have you kicked the alcohol yet? Yeah. 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 <laughs> or, I mean, it's it's almost like you start drinking, you know, you, you drink a lot more as a holiday rep than you do as a you know as a normal person because you're you're just out all the time so because you're given crappy accommodation that's the thing it's like you're sharing a studio flat with someone who you don't you know all the time. yeah you yeah don't. and it's like don't want to be in this room with no air conditioning where it's 35 degrees outside so i'll just go, just get out so um so yeah so i just started that job and that's that was my kind of in into aviation and i found that I I mean I grew up near Manchester airport so a day out for us was kind of going to the you know watch the planes take off and it was like it was looking at it literally from the inside out because my job would be taking the space that was left on an airplane and a bunch of cargo and playing Tetris and fitting it in thinking about the commercial aspect of it the size the shape the space that we had left and making decisions about what was going on and what was not going on so it was you know you have to learn all about like the size of doors and you know load balancing and like really geeking out the aeroplanes um, and then I moved into training so we were moving buildings they, they were in the middle of building this huge new cargo center and we were on you know one of those trainings where they show you rounds you know they let's show you where the canteen is and I was chatting with the trainers and they were like you'd make a great trainer I was like oh thanks and they're like yeah we've got a job actually we've got a vacancy you should apply and I was like okay and they're like yeah it closes tomorrow <laughs> so I literally ran home and wrote my CV and submitted it um, and got the job so that was my first move into kind of people HR stuff so I was delivering training to I mean I was away two weeks of every month doing training kind of all around the world for BA and then I moved into um, more leadership development um, HR stuff and then what I always loved was talent so I loved that the thing about being HR in BA is it was always a crisis so there was always a, a task it would be called a task but it was basically a reorganization which meant let's make lots of people redundant but we never quite went far enough so then 18 months later you'd have to do it again and again and again so I kind of did a lot of that I did a lot of people worked on some massive transformation projects and then I moved into talent management because that was my passion because it's like this is so depressing all of this redundancy of reorganization it's just so heart-wrenching and you know, people are sad and they're angry and, and actually talent stuff is positive. It's about who's the future and, and how do we develop them? How do we get them from here to here? What's the gap? And, and that was really exciting to me. But then the inevitable happens that, you know, there's a task because there's a crisis yeah. in the world. Somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I call it karma. It's like, you know, I'd exited so many people. I knew deep down, I knew this was going to happen to me at some point. I just knew it. You know, so it's just like a gut feeling, or there was the stuff going on in the business that you that you recognise that there, there was always a thing. So the difference with with something like aviation, when something happens in the world, the the response is immediate. So, 
you know, if you if you take so someone was telling me there was this factory in China's got flooded. So now that has impacted a production line like months later for something. Yeah. Whereas, you know, 9-11, you know, I remember being on a flight the next day and 9-11 and I, it was like completely it was half empty. You know, people just don't fly. You know, there was SARS, there was the Icelandic volcano that, that there's something and it, there's an immediate impact to it. So that's, I think, the difference with the aviation. There was always something in the world that was going on. So there was always this undercurrent of your job's never completely safe. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing, yeah. Interesting. I always think, uh, I always thought it was just because they were uh, such big companies that there was someone at the top when whenever anything happened, it was an easy decision because it was, it was less emotional for them to just say, it would make sense to get rid of a thousand people or whatever. That would save us the, the, the business, if you like. Yeah. Uh, but obviously it's it's not it's not quite as simple as that and there's always something else going on or another event or another thing and they have to really assess that but th yeah. does, were you were you essentially arranging your own redundancy well because i done it so much i, I kind of knew how to leverage it <laughs> let's put it that way you know so when we had like a consultation and bearing in mind I worked in HR we always used the phrase cobbler's children because we would you know like manage a redundancy consultation perfectly in the business but when it came down to us you know it'd be like oh hang on a minute you know have we submitted this form hang on a minute we need to have consultation <laughs> so I was can't do this no. Yeah, no, what we would do in the rest of the business, that was always like, what we would yeah. be doing in the rest of the business is taking a list of questions and options and mitigate, reduce and avoid redundancy. How are we doing that with us? So I did kind of make myself a, to be a bit of a pain in the backside. Um, but actually, it's the right thing to do. Right. The right thing to do is always the right thing to do. So treat your people, people the way you treat everyone else in the business. Don't just like ride roughshod over them you know yeah. you need to give them that opportunity a lot of my colleagues wouldn't speak out or were afraid and I just didn't give a shit because I think I knew I was going so I was like I, I'm just going to make this not as, not going to be awkward but I'm just like let's play by the rules here mm. you know so I kind of knew I was going I've made that I've made my mind up and I was just like well I'm just going to get the most out of it for myself and you know for my colleagues you know because I've seen what we've given to other people in the business. Yeah. So I know what the precedent is. You can't pull the wall over my eyes, <laughs> you know. So, and that wasn't the first time, that, or that wasn't the last time that happened, should I say. So, so, no. And you mentioned before, I think it's part of your story in general, that it happened twice in, what, the same year? Yeah, so I left BA at the end of March in 2017. Um was looking forward to taking some time off actually I was thinking <laughs> oh yeah cool we're coming into summer it's gonna be nice and I got headhunted um and I started with Leon restaurants in the May the beginning of May as their first head of training and that role lasted so it's interesting isn't it how you know hindsight is a wonderful thing so what was interesting is they just had VCs come in and of course the first thing anyone says about cost is you need to remove cost in head office so the finance team never goes interesting point the finance team always stays but the training team is always the first one to go so, <laughs> so I by in December I had this you know email please come to this meeting to discuss your future employment now I knew exactly what that meant because I'd sent those hundreds of those letters and yeah, yeah, yeah. um, it was a couple of weeks before Christmas <laughs> sorry for that like I created that template. I know. Yeah, I can, I can do that. Like, I've got that, like, embedded in my brain. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And it was, like, two weeks before Christmas. I was just, like, getting my team together because there was a lot of, you know, politics about where people sit. And I, I'd gone into my emails to send the email to my team with the agenda for our first strategy day. And I, and I saw that email from my boss. Please come discuss your future employment. I was just like, okay. So I went in and it was very like, it was a Friday and they gave me the spiel. And I was like, do you know what? I haven't got the energy to fight this. This decision's been made, you know, it's, what am I going to do? Create a stink. I haven't got the fight in me. And, and I thought it's happening for a reason. I didn't quite know what, but it's like, this is happening for a reason. 
Yeah. And I kind of, they said, go home, right hand over, come back on Monday with your laptop phone, keys to the office. And I said, oh, Monday's the day of my strategy day. So I'm not telling my team that's your, that's your job. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I went home, did the handover, came back, handed everything in and that was it. And it was really, it was, the, the experiences were very, very different. So the BA1 was this, we used to describe BA as this super tanker, you know, where you turn, you turn the steering wheel or whatever you have on a super tanker. And then it like takes weeks to turn around. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas Leon, it was like, you know, right, your last day's Monday, go home. <laughs> It was just like, okay, thanks for that. So very, very different. And I think had I not have had that first experience with BA, I don't think I would have bounced back quite so quickly from Leon. Because yeah. so, I, because I, it was two weeks before Christmas. I just went, sod this. Yeah. yeah, I just sat on the sofa, watched Netflix. Because bearing in mind, I'd had a three hour commute every day. And this is why I was so tired. I had a three hour commute every day and I was just like, oh, I'm just gonna sit on the sofa and watch telly and mm -hmm. drink wine and it's coming up to Christmas and I'll get onto it in January and which I did. And yeah, so that was, that was it. And I just, then I just thought, right, what am I gonna do? And I started looking for jobs because you just do that, right? You just get on and you just start, you just get onto what it was, you know. Yeah, it feels like a natural thing. Oh, I'll start looking for jobs and yeah yeah it does feel like the next logical step isn't it at that point yeah and everyone's saying like oh what are you going to do next have you got a job yet have you got a job yet and you're just like oh piss off yeah leave me alone yeah. I'm wallowing in self-pity <laughs> on my sofa yeah <laughs> I could need any more pressure than has already gone yeah, yeah so someone might come across this episode one day that's either suffered because of the pandemic or been made redundant or started a business even uh, and they kind of get feel your pain if you like is there is there anything yeah. you, a message you would give to people that are going through a similar thing with redundancy and maybe multiple redundancies I've met people before and they've said literally I've been, actually I met someone once who said I've been made redundant seven times in four years and wow don't know if I can get another job again. Like, yeah. it, it really plays on people. So if um, if you could give a message to people that might be experiencing that at the minute, especially now considering how you help people and what you do, yeah. what's the thing that you would say to them? So the thing I always say is, and this was always part of our script in BA. So it's a coming at it from a bit of an HR perspective, but it changes your mindset. It flicks that switch, which is you haven't been made redundant your job is redundant. So it's your job that no longer exists, therefore we no longer need your services. So if you look at it from that point of view, and, and if you use that kind of language when you're in interviews and when you're writing cover letters and when you're on you know, LinkedIn or whatever, if you start to say, my role was made redundant or I experienced redundancy. So you'll never hear me say I was made redundant because I wasn't made redundant. I walk out of, I walked out of BA and I walked out of Leon with this metaphorical backpack with all of my skills, all of my experience, all of my knowledge. No one can ever take that from me. That 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 goes with me wherever I choose to go next. So I'm not leaving that there. And I am, I as a person am not redundant. Just as anybody who has been told that their job, they're at risk, whatever, you are not redundant, your job is redundant. And if you if you just start using that language yourself, it just cha it just changes your mindset around the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I've funnily enough, I've always thought of it as your job is being made redundant, but it's really we I think it's really easy for us to fall into the trap of this is about me personally. It's quite an emotional yeah. thing in a way. Yeah. Attach yeah. ourselves to this identity of our job. And that, yeah. Yeah. So it can't, it but that's can't, the that's the thing with it. It's it's a loss. Not only is it as a loss, but it's also a rejection. So part of the um you know, so one of the things that I did, you know, in BA is, you know, you kind of get the form, which is make your preferences. And my preference was uh, re voluntary redundancy. And when they said, okay, then there was a bit of me that was like, oh, okay. Oh, so you don't want me then. <laughs> and, and, and in a way, it's like, you've just told me everything I need to know, because you've told me without really telling me that you don't want me in this business anymore. And it's a bit like a relationship, right? Like a marriage. It's like when when 
the other person doesn't want you it's like don't stay around because that is like needy and that is desperate and that is not nice at all yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. wow um so uh, i think it's probably a good point to tell us what what the what you do and what you help people with because i know their career these kind of changes are part of it but actually before, before we get into that i'm I found that the my perception of HR, you spoke a bit about HR and that's kind of your <laughs> background. My perception of HR has changed yeah. dramatically in the last few years. Yeah. And I think through um, through the pandemic and the, the you know clients that I've had in HR that are consultants and that work in that area that have um, been through this mad journey with their clients over the last couple of years has really given me insight into what HR really is. And so I think I've, I think my perception before was like, you, you're just there to give people slaps on the wrist and make sure that <laughs> policy is in place and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I think that's quite a wide perception out there. Um, and one of, the, one of the best parts of my job and my business over the last couple of years is really digging into HR and what you do and the different elements of it. I didn't even yeah. realise, but I was um, I was fortunate to uh, do a keynote speech at Growing Gloucestershire Conference, and Peter Cheese, who the CEO, oh, yeah. of do, um, yeah. was speaking after me or before me, and I didn't even know who he was. And he was like this very charismatic character, had a lot to say about things, and some really strong views, and was quite inspirational. Yeah. He's a great guy to watch. Um, and I, and then I remember having a conversation, and someone mentioned him, and I went oh, I know who he is. Um, and that got us down this rabbit hole of talking about HR. So um, I find it really interesting now that now I understand it a bit more. It's uh, I have the most interesting, powerful conversations with people in HR. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's that my perception of it's completely changed. So tell us a bit about your experience in HR, I guess. Um, and then how on earth did you get to in this business now as you are now yeah yeah I mean it's if you if you want to be kind of purist my HR journey started when I went into training so the CIPD used to have this what they call this wheel so you know you've got um, you know things like reward strategy and learning and development and talent management and employee relations and there's you know, the bits that I hate about HR, which was always the, the kind of policy stuff. It's like, I am no good at that. And I was fortunate that I moved into my proper like HR business partner role when we just gone through this reorganization. And it was very much like, if you're an HR business partner, you do not do the policy and procedure stuff. You do the strategic people transformational change. And that that's the thing that kind of really, um, pushes my buttons I'm no good at the policy stuff I'm quite um I can be quite black and white and the people stuff never is and what used to annoy me is most of the stuff that happens that's around people policy and stuff getting out of control is that people never deal with it in the first place people come and ask you for advice and you give advice and then they don't take it and then they come to you two weeks later you're going, oh, you know, that situation, it's completely blown out of proportion. And I go, well, did you do what I said? Well, no, because I, and I was like, well, there you go. That's why. And that just drives me crazy where it's much more about, you know, the, the bit I love about HR is where HR is around the table. So if you've got this, you know, board of directors, you know, the, the roles where I've excelled is, you know, I was HR business partner at Gatwick for BA and you know, the MD used to say, if this was a this was a standalone company, you'd be HR director. But it is this, she saw me as a strategic partner. So literally, as we're talking about the business, in a business like BA, your second biggest cost is people. So after fuel, your second biggest cost is people. So how do you get the most out of your people in terms of efficiency? But then also, how do you engage and motivate and, you know, move them you know, move them around. And there's, there's also a whole load of stuff around, you know, if you're going to change your business, so there's a whole load of conversations right now about hybrid working, but actually what's the jobs that you need your people to do? So go back to that. I think we're having the wrong conversation. It's like, we're talking about, well, should you be at home two days a week or in the office? It's like wrong discussion, have a conversation about where's your business going 
what's the type of roles that you need and how do you get the right type of people so it's like right people right place right time right skills that's for me is that kind of essence so it's particularly that feeds into that talent bit that I love I think the reason that I'm having such amazing conversations with HR at the minute is uh, because we are a, even at Danny and Co we're a remote workforce of 10 where yeah. and no one is you don't get us breathing down people's necks there's no be in the office Monday and Friday and work from home in the week because essentially what people are saying is we want to check up on you make sure make sure you get to work on a Monday and you're actually getting out of bed and then we want yeah. to check that you've done the work on a Friday and yeah the sky is this flexible working and it's uh it yeah I, I think it's a really interesting conversation whereas like you've just said our policy is work when you want where you want how you want yeah just get the work done and everyone's happy so and it, it's and it's fascinating because there's so many things kind of intertwined in this yeah. That if you look at it from an HR perspective, you go, you've got a whole multi-generational workforce challenge there because your your boomers who are in the workplace longer because of changes to pension and the fact that people are living longer and the fact that actually they don't really have a life outside, they're bored, they're not really sure what else they're going to do. They carry on working, but they're always working in the way that they've worked in the past. And then you look at this whole concept of Monday to Friday with a weekend and that's all doubt. That's back, that dates back to the industrial revolution. <laughs> so it's this, it, and it, and you just what we're doing right now is we're kind of unpicking these layers, and it's just like people are really, really kind of struggling with it. You've got you know new generations coming into the workforce who are you know the kind of digital natives who who hate this thing of you know being uh, you know micromanaged the whole time, but actually they still need some kind of. I don't know, call it mentoring, management, training, help, because they also say, leave me alone, but then I don't get any like praise, recognition, feedback, and they crave regular feedback. And that's like a few times a day feedback. So yeah, it's, there's a whole load of challenges going on here, which is yeah. actually fascinating. Yeah, I, I think that's true for us because e even like during the week, uh, I, I feel a pickup in momentum when I check in with people like how's, it, how's mm. it going do you need anything from me is anything blocking you from doing what you need to do do you need resource do you need training like you know, all those things yeah um, just those little check-ins do quite yeah. a lot so I, I'm having almost to plan my time where I have a set time every day where I'm just checking in with people making sure everything's going yeah. and it does help yeah. It feels like a waste of time because nothing's really yeah. tangible from it, but actually it's the yeah. best thing you can do for people. Yeah. yeah. As a leader, and this is where a lot of leaders struggle. So we have heard this a lot, like everywhere I've worked actually, is the, you know, you get it's it's how do you step out of management into leadership? And there is that there is that thing of people are the, the classic one is sales people to sell you promote your best salespeople to sales manager and then suddenly it's like they're not doing what they're brilliant at which is selling they're yeah. now they're they're it's a completely different skill set <laughs> and it's almost this thing of you've got to have worked your way up and it's like no 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 you can actually you could come in as a sales manager you need to understand what your people do but you don't need to have done it and the best sales managers are not your best sales people because get them out selling but then your challenge is how do you keep motivating those people to actually do what they do best every day and and it that's that's an interesting challenge yeah because essentially what you because the communication of what you have to do in that process is very difficult isn't it because you're mm. what you're it's not really what you're saying but what you're showing is the person who performs less gets a promotion <laughs> and that feels weird for other people yeah uh, they're yeah. like, why is that happening? Now, why is yeah. this person getting a promotion when I'm doing twice their quota or whatever it might be, or twice their target? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's a lot of it is to do with this. I hate this about the workplace. This whole <laughs> we judge people based on time thing. You know, that Stephen, Stephen comes in at 8 a.m. and leaves at 7 p.m. but does nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And Jessica comes in at nine and leaves at five and hits her target consistently. Yet yeah. Stephen gets a promotion because he's worked harder. 
that yeah. really irritates me. You know? <laughs> I've seen it like yeah. throughout my career before I was before I had Danny and Co. Before I was in this business, I was in financial services, yeah. like calling with a bunch of people in an insurance office. Uh, and, I, and you can see it everywhere. It's absolutely yeah. bonkers. I ha- it was very, um, I was HR business partner for engineering at one point, and they had this real eight o'clock meeting culture. Like it was, and it's quite, it's obviously very male dominated. So when you have women joining the team, I mean, I, I'm child free, so it didn't really affect me. But when you had other women coming in at senior levels, and it was almost like, I can't do eight o'clock. So I'm actually, I've actually done like half a day's work before eight o'clock in the morning. So I've got my kids <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, well, we meet at eight. So I started kind of coming in because I was like, what's going on at eight o'clock? That's so freaking important that it needs to be happening at eight. Well, yeah, they come in at eight, but then they make a cup of tea and they make some porridge. And it's like, you've actually not done anything for half an hour. <laughs> you know, you've faffed around. And then at five to four, like you can see the laptop starting to close. So it's like, you've got this thing that it's like, this is back to that kind of old fashioned, like I clock it, clock in, clock out kind of culture. And as long as I'm here, it doesn't matter what I do. And it's, it's, that's, that's now being challenged, which is, which I'm yeah. kind of, it's, it's interesting. Like it's like that disruption. Yeah. I like it. It's really good. It's, uh, yeah. I, I remember in some offices, like half four every day, there'd be someone who like collars the tray of mugs and goes to wash them up just so they can yeah. like not do anything for the last half hour of the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you doing with your team there? So if you all your team are remote, are you actually, planning to meet like in the real life and have regular kind of is everyone in the UK yeah yeah everyone's in the UK we've got three in Manchester one in Kent one in Chippenham one in Swindon two in Sirencester and then there's a couple of like outsourced things but the main team are yeah kind of dotted around and uh yeah and we do plan to meet up um we're planning on something at the moment i'm just i'm laying low because i'm having my second child so we're making sure yeah we're not we're not gallivanting in the meantime uh stick at home but yeah i imagine yeah. in the future we will uh, yeah start to meet up and everyone can because no one's actually met each other they took them on through pandemic so yeah yeah it's interesting because my husband's work they sent everybody home before the lockdown so they i think they kind of knew it was happening um during so probably may last year they actually got rid of their office yeah and now everybody is permanently at home yeah and it's interesting because my husband works with a lot of people who are not british so during lockdown they they went back to their home countries those people in france and portugal and romania and stuff like that and you know it's it's like what he's been saying for years. It's like, why do, why do we all have to traipse into Shepherd's Bush every day and yeah, go and exactly. sit in this office and then traipse back every day? And, you know, and it's, and they're actually proving that model, you know, proving yeah. it works. I know someone who uh, has a very swanky office in London. And he said, uh, this was in about June last year. Uh, and he said, we're actually, we're pretty productive. Now everyone's kind of working from home. I reckon, I reckon we should get rid of our million pound a month office. I was like, mate, rid. Like, if you're, produ- I'll go with that. If you're productive, why on earth would you spend that money on an office if you've, ne- if it's now been proven? But there are some people that obviously in the business are like, I need to, I need to have them around need to see what people are doing and i need to surely yeah. that surely they're not working unless they're at their desk in the office yeah yeah. yeah so it's, i mean uh, what what is what is interesting on the flip i think we focus very much on the positives what it, what i'm seeing on the flip side is i've done some leadership um development training for a large bank um in canary wharf and it started before the pandemic so we were you know on the 31st floor in a beautiful building and then we were kind of working from home. And one of the things that they said as, as, the, as the flip side to this is when I'm sitting next to my team members every day, I might not be talking to them, but I can kind of see what's going on for them. Um, whereas now I see, you know, here upwards for one hour on Zoom and I miss a lot of clues that I would have picked up on in the office. So it is, so it, I, I do it's a real tough one because it is like, you know, I can, I know someone's having a shit day yeah. because I've, because I've sat next to them for eight hours. 
Um, and also people are missing that kind of water cooler moment thing. So it's like, if I, how do I now as a high potential person in this business, start to network with people you know, before I knew that VP of whatever would be at that coffee bar at 11 o'clock every day. So, oh, guess what? I'm going to start going to that coffee bar at 11 o'clock every day. How do I do that now? How do I start those little, you know, like, oh, raining again conversations with these people who I want to go and work for without those water cooler moments? And I think the, so it's presenting different challenges for people yeah, depending so on where they are in the business. Yeah, my, my thoughts on that are similar. You know, I, I even said to the team at one point, we, we're going to have to, there's going to come a time where I'm going to ask you how you are. And we all need to be very understanding that the, the more honest and open you are, the better, because we don't get, um, you know, so we don't get Dave walk past us in the office and you go, morning, and they go, morning. Yeah. You don't get that nuance of, yeah. Uh, the smell the sense that someone's not good you don't yeah. get that because they just start work every day and no one sees or hears it and there's no so you know you're blind to it so I think there's probably ways that you can monitor that digitally or online or whatever it's just mm. much more difficult so that's the thing that I even I miss I miss that yeah. walking to an office and like morning yeah morning uh how's it like what's going on come on yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's so that's a really good point yeah the or even those conversations you know so you know so we've just had the euro final and it's just like that kind of well let's spend 20 minutes talking about how shit they played at football like let's not even go down the penalty route because they wouldn't have got to penalties had they played better do you know so there's those that's you tell i worked in a male-dominated environment right i had to get clear on my football but it's like that kind of just like we're not talking about engineering or whatever we're just going to talk about football yeah it's yeah. that yeah we have so we have a couple of things we have this thing last friday of every month we have something called not working not sorry and it's basically in the afternoon on a friday last friday we just get on zoom we leave it open and we just talk rubbish like there's no pressure to work yeah we just talk about stuff we have a sometimes we've started doing like a topic of the day and it just veers off and i'll stay there for 15 minutes and then i'll say right i'm off guys you crap you carry on have a good afternoon and it's just a way yeah. to bond a little bit because it's really hard to have that without a presence or without being an office the main yeah. uh, the main message that i give around the whole how many days should you work from home how many days should you work uh in an office and the whole hybrid conversation the thing that's always struck me is that while management are trying to figure out what the balance is, no one's asked them. Yeah. And I don't mean like, what <laughs> days do you want to work? I don't mean like that. What I mean is, yeah. you come in whenever you damn want. Where the office is here, use it, communicate with each other as a team. Yeah. When are you in the office? Shall we meet up on Wednesday? Shall, like, yeah. and use it as a space where you can work when you want to but yeah. no one's dictating to you what day that is like yeah. your responsibility to meet up with your teammates and stuff and, and work proactively it's i don't think it should be the responsibility of the leader to say this is yeah. when you should be in the office or not yeah you know giving the empowerment and the autonomy to their team members to say i'm going to work from home on monday because that's my struggle day like to get into the week but do you know, actually, I quite like being in, in the office. So I'm going to come in Tuesday, Wednesday yeah. and ease out of the week, you know. And as long as they're getting results done or what, the work that they need doing, then we're all good, you know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think but I think there's a there is a generational thing here as well. So I see it. So certainly in, in London, you know, and there was a couple of times where I was doing some leadership training and this is when it was like lockdown and you are all at home yeah. um when you're a 40 something person and you've moved out to the suburbs and you've got a spare bedroom or a garden office summer house thing that, that you've turned into this beautiful space and you know you've got your morning routine that's great but think back to you know when I think back to when I was a 26 year old first jobber in my first job at, at BA I was in a shared house and the only space I could work from home would be sitting on my bed 
And I literally had people on these group calls. I had people in obviously beautiful mansions in Surrey and, you know, a, a younger person who's in their bedroom because they're the only place they've got to work is their bedroom. So I think we just need to be mindful of like, not everybody, you know, thank God I took this office before lockdown. My husband, we have one spare bedroom that is now an office. We can't even have people to stay now because we got rid of the bed. It's it that is his man cave now, and you know I don't really even go there. You know? <laughs> but it's like not everybody has that situation. So again, it's like we're we've got these bosses looking at it through their lens, and you're just like, if I was 26 year old me, I'd be like, get me to that freaking office yeah. because I I don't want you know I, I sleep in this bed. I don't want to be working in this bed or this bedroom as well whilst yeah, you know you in a house lunch, full of people if you end up eating lunch at your desk you're eating sleeping and working in your bed yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean it's like i mean obviously we were all working shifts and stuff like that so it's like you know you've got to be quiet at certain times of day and it's it's not everybody is in the same kind of you know battle we've all got different kind of battles in this whole kind of pandemic and coming out of it but it's just that kind of being mindful of that stuff so we're trying to put a solution on it and it's not a one fit all it's like and again it's back to your point though it's like make get people to figure it out you know so if, if what's good for us like but my business development girl jess she's like i don't function before 10 a.m so <laughs> hello <laughs> yeah. basically said okay we don't do meetings before 10 yeah job done but if i book a meeting in for 10 o'clock you're gonna be all right there yeah great that's that's great <laughs> like yeah everyone's happy yeah it's obviously and i think that's that's the brilliant thing about running your business is because you can then set your own rules so i have that rule and um, by exception so if i was doing you know some leadership training for a company and it's like well you know it's a full day program yeah okay but that's an exception yeah. but like in clients, unless, you know, what I offer is it's between 10 and four. So that's when you can get me between 10 and four. If you, you can message me at nine o'clock, but I'm not going to answer, you know, and I've got an out of office on my email that says I check this twice a day. So if it's urgent, call me. <laughs> and I do. Actually, I've even, uh, I've tried to make communication and that kind of thing much easier. Our, our guys don't have email. So they, Yay. we have one team email box that everyone dips into and they reply with their name or whatever, but it's one email box, one person manages and distributes the email. And then they reply only to the emails that absolutely need their reply. If not, someone else just Amazing. did it. And that, that way everyone can just get on with their one job that they have to do. You know, the content yeah. gets on with his job, video editor gets on with his job. It, like the graphic designer doesn't do admin or, like it doesn't do any of that he just yeah. doesn't have designs like that's the yeah. same and i think that's I love that. really have yeah if you've got a skill and you're employed for a job just to do the job i used to hate it when like i was employed as a designer and then i'd end up being the, the web maintenance guy and the what browse <laughs> and i was like oh i've got to look after yeah. but that's the playing to your strengths right it's back to that it's like play to your strength have the opportunity to do what you're good at every single day and that's how you get employee engagement <laughs> exactly jane give us a give us an overview of what you provide as a service uh, how you're valuable to people and um, what kind of people should be contacting you and then we'll wrap up for yeah so i help um frustrated professionals in particular frustrated hr professionals to really think about what their next move is going to be and they come to me either because their role has been made redundant um, or they have just realized you know the, the pan what the pandemic has thrown up is the good the bad and the ugly in organizations so a lot of people have realized that you know unless they move they're not going to get that promotion because you know the business is contracted or their boss is a complete idiot and they're you know going to get overlooked whatever the reason this is the opportunity to kind of take control of your life and figure out actually my next move is going to be my dream move so i i take them through a process of really starting with their personal values because we kind of forget what they are or if we're asked what our personal values are we come up with a whole list of vanilla stuff that we think people want to hear and <laughs> really it's like okay no let's let's look at this let's figure out your last few jobs where these have been 
fed. So it's almost like you need to feed your values, right? Which is back to your strengths, do what you do best every day. If you're in an organized, and then use that as the foundation to figure out what type of organization do I want to work for? And does the organization display the values that I want to be nurtured and nourished? And then we go talk about like, what have you achieved? So where HR people struggle is they talk about, I was just doing my job or they don't, they're not great at relating that back to business. So talking about, so when you did, I don't know, this employee engagement program, what did it do in terms of reducing turnover, increasing engagement, increasing productivity? So getting them to really think about their HR stuff in terms of business contribution. So they position themselves as a business partner, not the HR partner. Yeah. And then really how to just leverage the technical things like their CV, LinkedIn profile, their network, interviewing, and just kind of pulling that all together. So I just work with them one-on-one Kind of over a 10 week period just to really hone that and just build that momentum and you know kind of set them free at the end of it yeah great i know that you've got a couple of um resources and things for free that people can use um do you want to tell people what they are and how how they can use them and uh, yeah I'll, so i've i've actually the process of updating my website right now so if, but if you head over to janeforay.com which is just my name um there is a free downloads there so uh, right now it's got how to have a great career development conversation um, if it's not there just email me I'll ping that to you um, I'm going to talk about 90 day plans that's going on there so how to write a 90 day plan because the president of the USA has 100 days you've got 90 so you need to be <laughs> making a great first impression <laughs> amazing Jane it's been great chatting to you uh, as I say it's always an interesting conversation when it comes to people and uh, yeah. and our experiences in life and work, and I know that a lot yeah. of people would have experienced some of the some of the real crap that you've experienced in the past, and you can and you sharing that's really valuable. So thanks for joining yeah. me. It's good to meet yeah. you. Make sure links are in the show notes to all the resources and stuff. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. If anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn and just hear my daily my daily dose of info and motivation, then then can please feel free to connect. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks.